going on guys it's jp from the chase down and i'm here with my co-host ben welcome back everybody sad day for boston sad day for boston uh last night was game six of the nba finals in td garden and the warriors were able to close it out and we will get into the celtics but first me and ben feel like it's the right thing to do to congratulate the champions the golden state warriors what did you think about their performance in this finals run um, I did not spend enough time looking at the good things they were doing because, you know, we're from Boston and I was just too fucking pissed watching the Celtics suck. But Steph Curry was a force every single game. Even the game he didn't hit a three. We were terrified of him every time he touched the ball. Um, Andrew Wiggins was incredible. Clay Thompson had some moments. Jordan Poole had some moments. Uh, but all around, offensively, the Warriors played pretty perfect. Yeah, offensively, and I think even defensively. Yeah. Um, I, I think we can, you know, we're going to get into how often the Celtics turn the ball over, and we can attribute that to a bunch of things. But I do want to give credit to Golden State and just how they played the Celtics. Um, they were double-teaming Tatum to make him, force him to pass, and then they would pick off the pass. They did the same thing to Jalen Brown. They did the same thing to Marcus Smart. They were forcing these guys to make passes continuously because they knew it would break. Like they wouldn't be able to continue making the good pass. And then that would lead to transition points for Golden State. Um, you brought up Andrew Wiggins. He's kind of incredible. Um, he, I think he averaged 18 and eight for the series, which isn't like anything insane, but just the consistency. And we talk about it with him a lot during the regular season. Like he's going to give you his 17 points per game. And that's kind of what he did in the finals, but he also gave you elite wing defense and rebounding at the same time. Usually it's just the points, but he was the total package in this finals. So yeah, ton of credit to Wiggins. Yeah, he was really awesome. Um, he had that uh, game five. He basically won it for him after Steph wasn't able to hit a three. Uh, rebounded like crazy, man. He had multiple double digit rebounding games. So it's crazy. He ended up with nine a game, uh, but he was awesome. Jordan Poole. You texted me this and it's the truest thing ever. He has the greenest light of any role player I have ever seen. Yeah. The, the shots that he takes uh, are really ridiculous. He's there's a dude in his face or it's right out of uh, like a drawn up play after a timeout. He just catches and flings it and they're swishes. Yeah. It seems like the set shots, the like catch and shoot shots aren't as good. But when he has when it's like a really, really dumb shot selection, that's when he hits it every time. I'm falling in love with Jordan Poole. I think there's a glaring weakness in his game. Obviously, they were sitting him most of the series just because of his defense. Like, he can't stay on the floor for too long. But as an offensive player, he is just chaos, chaotic energy at its finest. Like, there's one play that sticks in my mind a bunch from last night. Jordan Poole just hucks a three the second he gets in the game. He misses it. Golden State gets the offensive board. He relocates, pump fakes, has the defender fly past him, and then drains it. And it's like that happened in six seconds. All of that was in six seconds. It was so quick. He, he's amazing. Um, I want him to go. They're going to have to pay him this summer. That's something me and you will be monitoring because their checkbook's already very high. So uh, we'll see if they can keep him. But Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, I want to give credit to Draymond Green. Draymond Green had a near triple-double. I think he was like 12, 8, and 8 um, with two steals and two blocks. 
and he played like shit at the beginning of the story uh series like his mom was even tweeting at him like this is not my son like the way he's playing is not the usual and he fixed it he fixed it he, he was a beast on the defensive end clearly the best defensive player on the court and you know when he's passing like that and when he's hitting open threes he's just an unbelievable player mark jackson and stan van gun uh jeff van gundy were talking about it last night like he was 0 for 12 this whole series on three pointers and then he went two for four last night like with jamron shooting 50 percent from three it's gonna be a tough night yeah, 12, 12, and 8 was his stat line from yesterday. Um, we, uh, the Celtics would love a passer like him. Don't even, not even the defense, because his defense is incredible, but somebody who just makes the right decision with the ball every single time and doesn't turn the ball over very much and knows where his teammates want the ball. Um, it's really, really a blessing that the Warriors have him. And we said it last podcast, like before this game even played out with the 20 plus turnovers and us getting stomped, like we said this, they just need a player that can run the ball, like run the offense and keep it safe, like keep the ball safe. Yeah, yeah. And Draymond is that dude. You watch most of the time he gets the ball. He is not even thinking about shooting. A lot of his three pointers were like three seconds left on the shot clock and he's got a very wide open corner three. And even then he tries not to take those. Um, but he, he was great. It's a bummer that he was great. I really, really thought this was going to be a win for the Celtics. Um, and I just want to talk about game six a little bit before we break into like overall, how well they did 20 something turnovers for the Celtics, 21, 22 turnovers at the end of the series in the end of that game. Ridiculous. Jason Tatum in the heat series and the Warriors series turned the ball over 56 times, which is, I gotta be some sort of record. Um, I don't know. I truly don't know if it's the Warriors defense that's incredible or if Jason Tatum was absolutely not ready for this moment. I think it's both. I think it's both. I think I think Tatum was a little starstruck by the moment. Um, he is very young to be the best player on a finals team. I will give him that excuse. But I also think like this is a defense that was second in the league throughout the entire season behind the Celtics. They have the best defensive player in the series. Andrew Wiggins leveled up on defense in this series. Like he's been great defensively all year, but I think in this series, it was a bit different. Like we saw like complete shutdown Andrew Wiggins. I don't know if that was happening all year. Um, so if you have Draymond, Andrew Wiggins, Gary Payton, the second, who has the best hands in the league, I'm starting to think he stripped so many people last night. Um, it's just tough to beat when you have bad ball handlers and bad passers going up against those three types of players. It's just, it's a perfect matchup for Golden State in that case. Yeah, it is. I really underrated the Warriors defense um, because, you know, I Draymond, everybody knows Draymond's incredible. Andrew Wiggins, I was not expecting this level of defense, but I was expecting above average. Um, Gary Payton, we know how good he is, but other than that, there's not a lot of really high quality defenders on this team anymore. Um but Steph played amazing. He had two steals a game. Um, he was reading passing lanes really, really well. And then Steve Kerr deserves a bunch of credit for how well he was able to manage making sure Steph Curry didn't have to guard people. As soon as Tatum switches and Steph Curry's on him, Steph would front and then sprint to find a new man and somebody else would rotate and take Tatum. And usually it was Wiggins or Draymond. Um, so big plus to Steve Kerr, because that was a fun coaching battle to watch between him and Ime. And 
I also want to, or I know we're still on the Warriors, but I want to ding the Celtics. So actually, no, I'm not. Um, credit to Steve, Cor- uh, Steve Kerr. Like he is putting himself in the pantheon of head coaches very slowly. Yes, he inherited Steph Curry, probably one of the greatest, one of the greatest teammates of all time and probably a top 10 player of all time. So that definitely helps. But if you look at all the other great head coaches in NBA history, they had Michael Jordan. If you're talking about Phil Jackson, they had Tim Duncan, if you're Greg Popovich. So every great head coach has a player they hitch their wagon to. I'm totally cool with it. My favorite thing about Steve Kerr is he's such a vibes guy. He really is like, he, he cares about his players. You can feel it. Like, he just, he's in the perfect situation. And with him, Bob Myers, Steph Curry as the leader of that team, like that is the perfect organization. Like it's so well run. Yeah. And they really have no problem spending as much money as they want to keep their talent. Every single organization would love to have, would love, every single fan base would love to have their organization because they have no problem paying all these guys a lot of money. And it works, man. It really does work. Uh, Clay, Wiggins, Steph, Jordan Poole, Draymond, all of these guys are getting fat checks, um, some of them very, very soon. And it really, really helps to be able to have some really solid players like that and to not worry about the luxury tax. Yeah, and I kind of forgot about this, but I heard it a few times last night during the like celebration broadcast. It Golden State had the highest payroll in the league when they had the worst record in the league just two years ago. Mm -hmm. Like not a lot of franchises would be totally cool with that. Like, hey, we've only won 20 games this year. We're still going to have the highest. We're going to be in the luxury tax. Like that is for an owner to be willing to do that. Ton of credit to that guy, Joe Lacob. Uh, Yeah, there's just there's not enough positive things to say about the Warriors. Like even to Clay Thompson, he played like dog shit last night, five for 20 from the floor. But defensively, I was impressed. Like he could, he was starting to kind of get the hang of it, slide his feet, stay with guys. He definitely wasn't prime clay where you could like stick him on Kemba Walker or Kyrie and have him lock them up. Like that's not what he's doing now, but for like bigger guys, he can kind of use his body and his positioning and kind of make it difficult for people. So like all around Kevin Looney, like I could go up and down the roster. Like they, they all just played so well. I love Looney, man. I wish the Celtics had a dude like him. Um, we give up so many boards. Rob Williams is just not a big body. Um, he's, he's like just not strong enough core wise and like lower body wise to get rebounds with those guys Al Horford can do it Al Horford gets a lot of boards but Kevon Looney is just such an awesome role player and the thing with Rob too is because he's such an aggressive shot blocker sometimes it brings him out of position to get the defensive rebound so Mm -hmm. when he's going up to swat Steph Curry's shot into the eighth row it trickles off the rim and then Kavon Ludi is just sitting there under the rim to grab it and put it back or to kick it back out for a brand new possession. So I thought this was more evenly matched, like walking into the series. I thought the Celtics were the better team. I think I might still believe that. I think it was a massive choke job by the Celtics. Um, but yeah, all the credit in the world to the Warriors. I don't know how much I, we should probably do a little bit of Steph Curry right here. Um, He won finals MVP. I said it last podcast. I'll stick to it now. He's got a better resume than Kevin Durant. Like he should be higher on the all-time list. 
than Kevin Durant is. I don't know where that places him, but now he's in the conversation with like Shaq, Hakeem, like really big names, like really true icons of our game. Um, just, just what a series for Steph. I think he should be top 10 all time. Uh, maybe 10th, maybe 11th. It's hard to, yeah. you know, there's, there are 14 guys that should be top 10 all time. It, yeah. Um, but he got robbed of that first finals MVP. He did. he did. And now he's finally got one. Seven years between those two championships, even if you discount the Kevin Durant warrior years, which I am, um, he's the greatest shooter we have ever seen. And he got two chips, you know, homegrown with his, as just an incredible teammate and a player. He averaged 31 points a game, shot 44% from three, and he went 0 of 9 from three in one of the games. So it just, it speaks to how incredible he was over those other games. Yeah. And if you, if you do completely discount the Kevin Durant titles, like his resume is still similar to to Hakeem Olajuwon, yes. like who, who won two titles. He has two finals MVPs, but you could give Steph the advantage of like, he changed how basketball is played. Um, you brought that up last podcast. Like that means a lot. Um, so even if you take out two titles, he, he's kind of in that conversation, but to give him the extra two plus the finals MVP, a unanimous regular season MVP, it's just like, he really is approaching some rare air. He already is in rare air, but to think he could like even add to this resume is ridiculous. He is a one of a kind player. I don't know that we'll ever see, we'll see some good shooters. We'll definitely see some really good, really high volume shooters, but we will never see a dude like this again. And it was funny. My dad, I was watching the game with my dad last night and he just laughed. He was starting laughing because my dad's used to like watching Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan. And my dad's kind of phased out of basketball a little bit, but we were watching the game last night and he was going crazy because Curry was shooting from 30 feet and the, the net wouldn't move. And my dad just like kind of threw up his hands and started chuckling. And I was like, yep, this is who this is. Like you'll never see this again. So um, I've honestly, it does suck that the Celtics lost, but if there was any one player that I would want, to like root for to beat the Celtics. I think Steph Curry's pretty high on that list. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only non-likable warrior is Draymond Green. Um, I think that's true. <laughs> that's true. Jordan Poole is definitely frustrating to watch if you're not a fan of the Warriors just because of the shots that he hits and how ridiculous they are. He's like J.R. Smith on steroids. Yes. That's what, yes. That's what Jordan, <laughs> Jordan Poole is. Like the way he could just create something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. is just it's insane um but i think this is time for us to transition to the more sad part of yeah. the podcast uh let's just get into it the celtics fucking suck man yeah they, they were they were yeah. terrible i'm gonna yeah, i'm suck. gonna i'm gonna rant for a little bit yeah, jason go tatum off, go off jason tatum was absolutely not ready for this moment um jalen brown had 34 points yesterday and i barely even noticed because all i was thinking about was how fucking awful jason tatum was it seemed like every single time anybody drove to the rim, they had no idea what to do with the ball as soon as there was a defender in front of them. Me and you talk about Jason Tatum's finesse plays all the time. And that first transition bucket he got in the first quarter, he's taking it at Draymond Green and he tries to go around him with the left hand and do like a little English move off the back off the backboard. And of course it misses. Um, and we got the rebound and we got a shot out of it, but that's just who Tatum was this entire series. 
the dude that dunked on LeBron James, I didn't see him attempt to dunk on a person once. I didn't see him attempt to go strong at the rim very often at all. He is floaters before the, the, the guy's hand gets too close to him. He is like throwing up shots from eight or nine feet behind the basket instead of just driving and dunking. I don't know what the hell went on with him. I mean, I, I, it was disappointing. 21 points a game. I was expecting a 40-point game at some point. I was expecting him to just dominate. And then the game that mattered the most, he went six for 18. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that Jason Tatum might just be a puss. Like, I think that I think that's kind of fair to say. Like, homeboy just does not want to get hit at all. Like, yeah. he, the Euro steps, the slow Euro steps, he just, like, reduces his speed by 50% and then tries to huck the ball over the back of his head instead of literally just driving through a guy he's six inches taller than. It's it's really quite interesting to watch. Um, I You kind of nailed it. I mean... Jason Tatum is not ready for this moment. Like you said, he averaged 21 points per game. That's six points down from where he was in the regular season. Um, just that alone would make you go like, holy shit. But then you also look at the percentages like across the line and you're just like, all right, this guy was terrified and he was not ready. 36% from the floor is abysmal. That is garbage. That is like rookie point guard numbers. That's yes. what that's like. Um, for, for the best player, quote unquote, on a championship contender team to do something like that in the biggest games of his life is just, it's ridiculous. It's, it's a, it's, I, I can't even really. All this talk in the off season about Jason Tatum putting on muscle, getting big. What was, what was it for? What was it for? What was it for? He doesn't just to use break it. threes at the start of the season. What it's an aesthetic it? yeah. it's an aesthetic more than a functionality like yeah. it's literally just to look like he has big shoulders and big arms he yeah. doesn't use them for anything yeah and we watched him during the milwaukee series he was great during the heat series he had some really good moments um i it was so disappointing watching him come up so short it was the lowest two-point shooting you sent me a, a espn picture lowest two-point field goal percentage in the last 60 years in a finals, yeah, 31% from two-point land. Pathetic. He shot 41% from three. That's great. Oh. Um, but just awful, awful. 46% from three. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's why I don't want to hear the stupid shoulder injury shit. I think it's very convenient. Oh, he's hurt. He's hurt. CP3 did the same thing last year. He did it this year, too. Like, I'm done with that. Curry twisted his ankle to all hell in game three and then came out game four and dropped 40 on us. I do not want to hear about achy shoulders when he's shooting above 40% from three. And I, I, that just, it seems like a LeBron tactic to me. A narrative move. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, 66% from the free throw line, Jason Tatum. What the hell is that, man? I, I, I just don't have words. So there are three Celtics that averaged over three turnovers a game. For this series and there isn't a single warrior that averaged over three turnovers a game we do not have a dude that can settle everybody down and that can make the right play consistently with the ball marcus smart had nine assists yesterday jason tatum had seven assists yesterday there was some good ball movement but they just can't help themselves they drive to the lane and then they just shit their pants and throw up some absolute garbage pass do you think Okay, let's talk about Jalen Brown first before we get to Marcus Smart. Jalen Brown, 
I'm actually encouraged by this series. Yes. Um, the turnovers and the dribbling is something I don't think I'll ever be able to get over. I, I think that is one of the weirder things I've seen in such a good player. And I've heard a few other uh, media members say this, like for him to have that bad of a dribble and to be as good of a player as he is, is kind of wild. Like, it is. Usually horrible dribble equals horrible player. That's usually how it works if you're not seven foot two. But Jalen Brown's incredible. Um, if he can, you know, clean that up a bit, he's going to be a real, real guy. I, I was very encouraged in how he performed in this type of stage. Yeah, I, I was too, man. Still too many turnovers. Still can't dribble 100%. the ball very well. Yep. But that was him when he got into this league. He's never been a dude with a great handle. This is the best it's ever been. And even still, if you've got a great defender on him, they're picking his pocket most of the time. You know, it wasn't just Tatum sucking, though. Our bench disappeared when we needed him most. Grant Williams, after hitting, after that game seven against the Bucks, disappeared. I, I didn't see him be impactful once after that game seven. It's great that he won us that. It's great that he brought us to the, the Eastern Conference Finals, but he disappeared. Derek White, really good games one, two, and three, disappeared the last three. Peyton Pritchard couldn't hit a shot. Um, just, man, the, the lineups that we rolled out when Tatum was sitting were bad, and then Tatum would come back in, take a lot of shots, and miss them all. Yeah, the, the Peyton Pritchard minutes were tough for me personally to watch. Um, obviously, this is like a deep rotation guy, mm-hmm. and you're, you're playing him on the biggest stage. So, like, I'm not expecting him to, like, light the team on fire and, like, really run the offense or anything. But when we did go to our bench, it did kind of show – we're a little bit top heavy um, or the Celtics are a little bit top heavy because throughout the season, I think our bench played pretty well. Yeah. Um, w- well, that first 50 games where we sucked, it was bad. Mm. When we got rid of Schroeder and Richardson, then things kind of started to turn around. You brought up Grant Williams. I mean, for a guy who played so poorly um, this series, the amount he talked to the refs, I'm just like, what nerve does this guy have to think that he can do and say that shit to the refs? Um, also, like just his paycheck, like he is available for an extension this summer. He will get one from the Celtics. I think he has earned that. But like, what's the next step for Grant? Because he's kind of the guy who plays defense and shoots threes. And he kind kind of didn't do the shoot threes part in this series. So is it just becoming a better shooter? Is that the next evolution? I think he's got to be able to do more than hit corner threes. That's he's got to be a more versatile three point shooter. That's what's next for him because a little off the dribble, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Moving around, you know, um, not just, I'm going to stand absolutely still in the corner and I'm going to hit a three if nobody's guarding me. Cause he had a really, really high three point percentage this season. And it's really because for about 30 games, they were letting him take wide open uncontested corner threes. He was shooting like 55% on him through halfway through the season, which is incredible, but there was nobody guarding him. As soon as people realized, wait, this guy can actually shoot threes, his percentage dipped the last month and a half of the season. He was not shooting threes very well because he's not that kind of shooter. When nobody's in his face and he's wide open in the corner, he's going to hit that all the time. But if you need to rely on him and the defenders know that he's somebody they got to watch out for, his three-point shot is not it. 
Yeah, and I think sometimes if you, you know, you just read a box score and you see a 40% three-point shooter in Grant, you're like, this guy's a light out sh- lights-out shooter, which he, he was a very efficient shooter. But, mm-hmm. you know, in my opinion, I would rather have a 37% three-point shooter who can shoot off the dribble, who can shoot off pin downs, who you can run motion with and shoot on the move and spot up at a lesser percentage rather than a guy you just stick in the corner and have him hit open threes, right? And that's kind of what you're speaking to. Like, there's not a ton of versatility there with his shooting. Um, he is great at what he does. And I kind of, I think I called him uh, souped up PJ Tucker heading into the playoffs. Like, that's kind of just, he's quicker on his feet. Obviously, PJ Tucker's like 35 now, so he should be quicker. But he's a quicker guy, bigger guy, and kind of does the same thing. I, I just... The role players disappointed me, man. Derek White, we did kind of, we kind of gave up a lot for him. Like he played well. He won us uh, game one. He played incredibly in game one, um, but we kind of gave up a bunch for him. I'm going to look up what, do you remember what we gave up for him? I remember it was like a first round pick. It's a pick and a pick swap, a first round pick and a pick swap and okay. Richardson and Romeo Langford. Um, so it's not pick... that much. The pick but swap the... is going to suck. Um, but it's in like 2026 or 2027. So it's a while from now. Um, we gave up this next year, this current draft first round pick. Um, and we lost Richardson. And Richardson's great. He was a good defender, really good energy guy, really good teammate. I am still happy that we got Derek White. Um, the next step for him, he needs to learn how to shoot threes. His form is really ugly. Uh, and it seems like he's uncomfortable shooting threes. I think that's the next step for him because driving, he's got good floaters. He makes good yeah. passes. He plays good defense. Um, it's really just he can't be relied on to hit a shot outside of, of like 20 feet. You can see him thinking yes. when it's time to shoot. Like the Celtics will play about five feet off for when he's at the three-point line. And there's a brief second there where he kind of goes into his shot motion and then he'll put it back down and like try to drive or like, there's just when you see it happen you know what I'm talking about um yes yeah it's just him getting more comfortable from the three-point line adds a lot of value to him as a player the games where he was shooting really well there was no thinking catch shoot immediately he had that the game one against Curry where he kind of like dug his head into Curry and then faded back for a three that was awesome it looked really clean coming out of his hands um, but game four, five, and six, you could, you could see him thinking through every shot and like second guessing himself and then trying a shot anyway. Um, but none of this would have mattered if Jason Tatum could hit a two pointer. I agree a hundred percent. If he just actually was the best player on the Celtics and his stats and his, you know, percentages reflected that and his style of play reflected that the Celtics probably win this series. And if, if Jalen Brown knows how to dribble, the Celtics probably win this series. Um, And I, I think I said this to you before we started the pod. I'm not sure if I got it on the pod. I do feel like the Celtics were the better team. Um, You can go back to when I picked the Warriors in seven. I was like, they're evenly matched. They're about as close as it gets. Like I even kind of give the advantage to the Celtics, just the way they match up with our size and stuff like that. But like experience takes over. And we saw that exactly like the Celtics kind of just choked. The light was way too bright for them. Um, Yeah. Like if our guys just played the way they did in the regular season, what does this look like? So 
Yeah. Lights were too bright for Jason Tatum, man. How many playoff games has he been to? How This is not his first rodeo. It's his first time in the finals, but it's not his first time going deep into the playoffs. Um, I, I have no idea what's next for him. He's going to get clowned ridiculously for all of the Kobe stuff he's been doing. Um, winning the Eastern Conference Finals and like putting that Instagram post out there and then dressing up like him at practice all of that stuff just to absolutely suck when it mattered most in the finals. Um, I, he will have a long time to prove himself, man. Nobody has doubted Jason Tatum as a playoff player in his entire time in the league. Basically Um, he has not come up short like this ever. And he's going to have, this is going to follow him until they make the finals again. Absolutely. A hundred percent. It will. And you know, I'm trying to, we can talk this out and you'll probably help me find my answer here, but how much weight should I put into this? Because I think this was a pathetic performance, like pathetic for a guy that was just voted first team all NBA. We had Mike Rugg come on here. And I think you might've even agreed with it, that Tatum could potentially maybe even be the best player in the league one day. Um, like for a guy who just shat the bed so hard, like one, how much emphasis do I put on that? Because he's only 24. He's still super young. Most 24 year olds don't even make it here. Um, like he has a whole career's worth of playoff games that he's shown that he's like a, an above average playoff player. So is this just a fluke? Like, is it one really bad series? Like how much should I weigh this? I don't know the answer to that. I don't think, I think it's a bit unfair to act like he's all of a sudden now not the dude you know he wasn't in this finals this was a terrible performance for him um but you know maybe this is a spark for him maybe this is his uh lebron versus mavs moment where he just realizes like okay shit's got to be different i can't do this finesse stuff anymore i'm six foot ten 230 pounds i need to go through people maybe this is the spark that really changes things for him um i hope it is i don't know i don't know how how heavy you can really weigh this because how many series how many playoff series does he have it's got to be like over 10 different playoff series maybe 15 maybe almost 20 um he's been to three eastern conference finals so he's got a good playoff resume for a young dude and he's never been this kind of choker right yeah exactly so that's that's kind of where because we can't ignore this we cannot ignore this like this is too significant to pretend like it didn't happen but at the same time, I feel like I almost should cut him some slack just for the purpose of him getting there way before other great players have made it there, right? Like, I think Kevin Durant's kind of the only example you can look at who made it to a finals and lost. But Kevin Durant was putting up 30 points per game on 55% shooting in that finals. Like, Jason Tatum was fucking horrible. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really know what to do with this. It's It's kind of it's put a weird taste in my mouth for Tatum. I think if anything, Tatum needs to really have a great uh, season next year. And like the success needs to be equivalent at least like they, they need to make a really good run in next year's playoffs with him being the best player on the team, undoubtedly for me to kind of let this wash over me. Yeah, I, I think that that's fair. Uh, this was Tatum's 13th series, playoff series. Um, so for a 24-year-old, he has got he's, – he's been, he's been doing this. 
Um, the turnover numbers, if you just go, I'm looking on basketball reference right now, 23 turnovers against the Warriors, 33 against the Heat, 24 against the Bucks, 20 against the Nets. The Nets don't have good defenders, and they stripped them 20 times. Um, I think the shining light, the little bit of hope you can, you can take from Jason Tatum's performance is the seven assists per game. He had 13 in game one, and the lights were not nearly as bright. The stakes weren't as high. It was just the first game, and you could see him making the right decision with the ball consistently. Still had some bad turnovers, but for the most part, he found his guys in his spots all the time. Game four and five, shit started to matter a lot more, and he panicked, and you could see him panic, but he's definitely grown as a playmaker, and it's undeniable that he has grown as a playmaker. Yeah, I think I, I think you're right. It is undeniable. Um, I mean, I still don't think he's like an above average playmaker, but he's a good playmaker at this point. And he was a poor one at the beginning of the season. So from poor to good or close to above average, that's a big jump. Like mm-hmm. that is that's impressive. And as a guy who can give you 27 on any given night or, you know, we saw him give Milwaukee 46 to be able to pass when you need to is a great skill to have, but I mean, you, there's just no excuse for having a hundred turnovers in a postseason. There's no. no excuse. No, that's one of a kind. Terrible. Uh, we've never seen it before. We may not see it for a very, very long time. Um, we won't. We won't because LeBron, the guy who he just beat for the postseason record for turnovers, he has the ball in his hands every freaking step down the court, mm-hmm. all game, every game. Tatum does not. That is their usage percentages are not similar. So for Tatum to even eclipse that while touching the ball so much less and running so much less pick and roll and having so much less responsibility as a playmaker. I mean, that is truly like one of a kind terrible stuff. It is. It is 33 turnovers against the heat is one of a kind terrible. I don't know the record for the most turnovers in a single series. Um, I, I was trying to look on stat news and I couldn't find it, but it's got to be up there. Um, but he also was top 25 in total minutes played in a playoff series or in a playoffs. Um, so, you know, most guys are not playing the amount that he is. Most guys haven't touched the ball the amount that he does, even though LeBron runs the offense every single possession. Tatum had the ball in his hands more than most people get the chance to in a series. That's um, but he still would drive to the hoop and have absolutely no idea what to do with the ball. Undeniable. Right. You watched right. it over and over and over again. Um, I don't know what changes. Let's let's look towards the future here. I think the Celtics run it back. Al Horford, this is going to be his last year, most likely with the Celtics. He's getting paid a big check, and I got no problems with that. Um, Rob Williams, man, I love him, but do we need to think about moving him for somebody that's a bit more reliable, someone who can stay healthy a little more? I don't know. Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, these are fun bench players, but they suck when it matters, and you can't really rely on them to be the guys to save you in the finals. Um, What comes next for the Celtics? If Bradley Beal is on the table and the Wizards demand Time Lord, Grant Williams and like, you know, the Kawhi package, basically like three first rounders, four pick swaps, like basically every pick we can give them. Is that a yes for you at this point in time, watching what we just watched? I think Bradley Beal is a negative player. I think he only has the ability to score 
and not even really at that above average of an efficiency. Um, I, I would not want Bradley Beal on this team. I think the one advantage to having Brad Beal, and I'm also on your side with this, I'm not a huge fan of him as a player in general. Um, just seems a little selfish to me. I don't know if that's unfair, but if you get Brad Beal on the team, Tatum's still the one. That pushes either Jalen Brown or Brad Beal, whoever you think is better, to number three. If you have Bradley Beal or Jalen Brown facing the third best defender on a team, they're going to get their points, and it's most likely going to be efficient. Um, That's kind of where we saw the Celtics struggle. Like, they just couldn't get buckets. Um, And does – honestly, we can move on from the Brad Beal thing. Do you think Marcus Smart belongs on this team next year? Like his value is probably the highest it's ever been. He just won a defensive player of the year award, whether, you know, we think that's, he actually is the best defensive player in the league or not. He has that award in his trophy case. Um, He just led quote unquote, a team to the finals. Like has his value ever been higher than what it is right now? It's, it's definitely the highest that it's been. My gut reaction when the series ended was Marcus Smart needs to be traded for a facilitator, somebody that can consistently run the offense really well. Um, but we saw during this regular season, man, and a little bit in the playoffs, that he is the dude that fires up our team. Jason Tatum shows up in hoops. Um, yeah. He is not this leader that, you know, picks everybody else up. He scores really, really well. People like him on the team. But Marcus Smart is the leader of this team. If you replace Marcus Smart with just a plus player that can pass really well, I'm not sure that we improve. Um, His defense is hard to, it's hard to find anywhere else. The thing I will say about Bradley Beal and why I'm not sure if it's a great fit, the scoring would be awesome. But the Celtics game plan this year was we're going to field eight or nine guys that can switch on anybody and that play really good defense and that can move the ball. Uh, Bradley Beal cannot play good defense. He's not going to switch on anybody and he does not move the ball. So if we're sticking with this mold of, we need switchable defenders, we need a guy who can guard two through four, three through five, all that Bradley Beal is not going to be that guy, but there's not many guys in the league like that. Exactly. And it's, it would be a sacrifice. The Celtics would have to be willing to take. We kind of saw the warriors do it back when they first got KD KD is an isolation scorer. And up to that point, the Warriors ran no isolation, mm-hmm. but they made a sacrifice to bring Kevin Durant in that said, hey, we'll let this guy run his five, seven isolations a game. He'll get his 30 and then we'll run our system around him. Um, would the Celtics be willing to do that for Brad Beal to just get more firepower into the lineup? And if they do, does Marcus Smart become a sixth man? Because I feel much more comfortable with him as like a, a quote unquote lead guard leading the bench unit or coming in for crunch, like something like that, rather than the entire game is on his shoulders. Yeah, it, it could work. It could it definitely could. work. Yeah. Um, I don't, I think I'm at the point where I can't part with Marcus Smart on the Celtics, even though yeah. I would love a facilitator. He's just, he's a Celtic for life. Um, I want to see Derek White get a little better. We're paying him a lot of money. He's got a lot of skills. Uh, he doesn't lose the ball very often with the dribble. So no, he's got I, a good dribble. He does. He has a pretty good dribble and he's good at keeping a live dribble. He's good at not making dumb turnovers. I'd like to see him be more involved facilitating wise. Um, 
but it seems like we're just going to keep bolstering Tatum and Brown and they're just going to be the wings that handle the ball all the time. And if that's the case, Tatum's got to learn how to go strong at the rim and Jalen Brown's got to learn how to keep a tighter handle. Yeah. I, it, you know, what's funny is like the key to fixing the Celtics could literally be those two things that you just said, like next season, they just let Jalen and Jason handle the ball all throughout the regular season and give them their reps and like if it results in you know Tatum becoming an above average passer and Jalen Brown having a really tight handle like maybe that's what makes them a championship team and maybe the the difference is that slight between them I mean I know it's that slight between them losing and winning a championship but now we have to look forward to next year like does a healthy Milwaukee team who let's be honest, like the Celtics were very lucky to run into a Milwaukee team that was not healthy. Does it help? Does do the Boston Celtics with Jason Tatum being an above average passer and Jalen Brown have a, having a tighter, tighter handle beat a healthy Milwaukee team? Like, I don't know, man. It, honestly, that's a coin. Yeah, yeah. That's a coin flip. I, I mean, it went seven without Chris Middleton. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, yeah, it looking forwards is a little grim. I think for Celtics fans I think just like viewing the landscape and understanding that you know the best player in the league is in your conference and he's not leaving anytime soon I think is is should be scary for Celtics fans yeah and I will say for as much as we dogged on the Celtics and they absolutely deserve it they got to be proud to be where they are this was not this was not an easy road to the finals Brooklyn you know, they were four close games. We swept them, but they're a really good offensive team. We played amazing against KD. Uh, Milwaukee, even without Chris Middleton, Giannis is the man, and he is impossible to stop. And we got through them, got through Miami, and we won two games off the Warriors. Um, we would have loved to see a better finals, and there is so much that we can pick apart from what they did yeah. wrong in the finals. But they got to be happy that they made it to this point because it was absolutely not an easy road. Not at all. And I think our criticism of the Celtics, I think, is fair. I don't think we're going over the top on this podcast. Sometimes me and you come in here just, like, enraged. Um, It doesn't feel like that today. It feels like we're being pretty fair. But, um, like, from where they were in, you know, December, right? Like, if you tell Boston fans, hey, you're going to make it to the NBA Finals this year, you don't get to know if you win or lose. They take that deal every single time. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we were two games under 500. Uh, we let RJ Barrett come back from like 25 down and hit a buzzer beating three over us to win the game in the garden. It's just, it was just disgusting basketball. It made me not be a Celtics fan anymore. That's how bad they were playing. Like I was done with them, completely done with them after that game. I didn't watch like another regular season game. It felt like, um, but for them to go from that, just disgusting, humiliating basketball to we were two games away from winning an NBA championship. Like you couldn't ask for more growth in an NBA season. No, Jason Tatum was really slow start the season, had a really tough first half of the year. And then that Celtics team, the second half of the year, the last 40, 35 games beat the shit out of teams. They were up 25 at halftime in, you know, almost a dozen games. They were not close. They were beating really, really good teams badly. Um, if we come out next season with that kind of energy right out of the gate, you know, we, we were a two seed when it all ended we're, we would be a one seed. The Celtics were the best team in the NBA through the second half of the regular season. Um, the defense was on point. The offense was on point. 
So if we start like that, you know, I, I think there's a lot of reasons to be very, very confident about the Celtics going forward. It is never easy to make a finals. There's no guarantee we'll be back in the next couple of years, but we've got a really good shot. Right. And I think that's kind of all that matters because this is what we know for sure. You have the right head coach in the building. Mm -hmm. you, you have the right basketball president operate or basketball president in the office with Brad Stevens. We know that, you know, you have a star in Jason Tatum and you know, you have a co-star in Jalen Brown that just that puts you in contention to get back to this type of series, right? The finals. It's just, you know, luck of the draw from here on out. Like, will you face a buff Giannis with a healthy squad around him? Will you run into like a surprise team that just got like got hot, just like the Celtics did this year? Like we have no idea, but they're looking forward. They're going to be in the mix for a long time. Yeah, I agree. Um, and on the Warriors end, I don't know that they've got a shot this easy ever again. The West without a healthy Clippers team, without a healthy Nuggets team. Yeah. They went through a very young team in the, the Grizzlies first. Um, their path to the finals was not that difficult, relatively speaking. Um, they deserve a lot of credit for making it there. They played really well against the Mavs. But I don't know if they will be back again. I'm I'm looking forward to the Nuggets because I'm a gigantic Nuggets fan. And with Jamal yeah. Murray back, with Michael Porter Jr. back, uh, I think that they're going to make a splash next season. The Clippers as well, a healthy Kawhi and Paul George, who knows if they're healthy by the season's end, they should dominate. Um, the Warriors have a really, really tough road ahead. I think the Warriors road back is tougher than the Celtics road back. Um, I agree. The Celtics only really have to worry about Giannis. Mm -hmm. um, that's it. The Warriors have to worry about, you know, do the Suns come back? Do the Lakers rejuvenate themselves? Like, does the do the Nuggets finally stay healthy for one whole season? Can the Clippers stay healthy for one whole season? Um, I'm the biggest Kawhi fan on the planet. If that team stays healthy, they're winning the championship. Uh, Kawhi's only 30. Like, he just turned 30 last year. I think people think he's older than he actually is. Um, like, he's he was first-team All-NBA the last time he played. 27 points per game, six rebounds, five assists on perfect efficiency across the board. It's kind of just like him and Paul George, plus those role players they got in that building. The, the Clippers and the Nuggets just look like juggernauts to me, sleeping juggernauts in the West to me. So, yeah, the Warriors' path is going to be murky. Yeah, and who knows the Mavericks as well. They're yeah. going to get better. They did not have a very strong team around uh, Luka, but they're going to get better. Um, who knows? You're right with the Suns. The Grizzlies are going to get even better. The Pelicans, Zion's coming back. Um, Portland, who knows with Dame, if they can make any sort of splash. There's a lot yeah. of teams they're going to have to watch out for. And even with the Grizzlies, like how close does that series get if John Morant doesn't get hurt? right? Like he got hurt and the Warriors were kind of able to skate by afterwards. Um, they lost that one game by 50 and then they just squashed it mm -hmm. after Ja got hurt. Like if Ja stays healthy that whole way, who knows what that West looks like. Um, the Grizzlies will be back next year. I agree. Yeah. There's a lot of teams in the West that are going to be very, very scary next season. Um, and I don't think it's that ridiculous to think the Celtics will be a top two seed again. 
The Warriors could be too. The Warriors had an excellent season. Basically, every minute that Steph Curry played in the regular season, the Warriors were great. Um, when he came off the bench or when he was not on the floor, when he was injured, sometimes they looked like a G League team. Yeah. Um, but with him on the floor, they are a top three seed in the West. But, you know, we could see this matchup again. I, we could see this next season. This was an excellent matchup. Um, I just, I'm excited for Tatum to prove himself. And one last thing on the Warriors, I feel like their path back to this type of success is Kaminga, Moody, and Wiseman, and partially Clay, just like seeing if he can become what he used to be. Because we still have to realize, like, he didn't play basketball for over a thousand days, and this was his first season back. Like, he's not going to be the guy he once was. But if he can get even closer next year, and then you have the improvement of Kaminga, and the improvement of Moody, and maybe Wiseman actually turns into something. Like, that puts them in a pretty good position to contend again. It does. Jonathan Kaminga, he was starting games for them. Yeah. Um, and he was doing really well. He only played eight minutes in these finals. He was really only in garbage time. Um, but you saw what he could do in the regular season, man. We've seen the potential. He's only going to get better. And you're right. I think, you know, even as soon as next year, he could be an important part of their playoff rotation. Yeah. So I, I think that's the Warriors' best chance at coming back because Draymond's only getting older, Clay's only getting older, and Steph's only getting older. Steph obviously looks like he's still in MVP type form. So, I mean, I wouldn't be too concerned about him next season, but just as they, as they get older, you're going to need those young guys to kind of contribute more. Yeah. And if you remember, we, we doubted Steph a little bit. Um, this regular season of his was not his greatest. He started no. off insanely hot. And then around the time he was getting close to hitting the three point record, he cooled down in a way I've never seen Steph Curry cool down before yeah. um, the series before these, he had some good moments, but his numbers were not crazy. Um, we didn't really know what to expect from him coming into the finals. And he showed that, you know, this is what he's built for. It doesn't, all those other series, forget about him. When the finals are, when it's finals time, he is going to absolutely dominate. Yeah, I, I thought that we were seeing signs of aging um, because there were so many two of 11 from three games and Steph would have those here and there in prior years, but there wasn't those games with more consistency. And we also didn't see any explosions. Like we didn't see a 55 point game and a 60 point game this year. It was kind of just like very consistent play, like nothing too crazy here and there still an all time great, but nothing that was like, Holy shit, stop what you're doing. You got to turn on the golden state game. Steph's going crazy. Um, it didn't feel like there was a lot of that this year. So I thought maybe, hey, like maybe this is the year he starts to slow down. And he definitely proved me wrong because uh, in the finals, he was unbelievable. Yeah, he was. Um, I don't know. Do we have anything else here before we wrap up this this episode? Yes. Legacy. Uh, we're gonna, yeah, we have legacy. And then we're going to take a little break. And I have a surprise for, our, for our listeners. But legacy, um, just a legacy update in general. I think for Tatum, this is something interesting, <clears throat> legacy-wise. It ha it's on his resume now. You can't wash it off. It happened. It's similar to the LeBron 2011 thing. Like, despite winning four championships after that, we still have to bring up 2011 as, like, a thing that happened. It was bad. It didn't look good. And it's going to be the same thing for Tatum. Like, he's going to have to really bolster his resume after this series to kind of, like, make us forget about it. Um 
or just make excuses for it. Like, hey, he was young. Look what he did after type of thing. So legacy update on him for, for I feel like everyone else. It's like we already knew who Curry is. This obviously bumps him up in the all-time players ladder, but I just, yeah. The Warriors are now, I mean, the Warriors were always going to be a team full of Hall of Famers. Um, Steph Curry was definitely making it already. Clay was already making it. But, you know, this is just, they did just bolster their resume. Um, Steph Curry, I'm, I'm putting him 10th all time. It's a, it's a list that I would have fun talking about with you because there's so many players that deserve it, and it's hard to know who goes where. Yeah. Um, but the the way he's played, man, he's definitely one of the best to ever – you know, he, I think he's top 10 all time. I think he's top two point guards of all time as well. Yeah, for sure. At this point, it's really just him and Magic. Uh, yeah. I know people love Isaiah Thomas. Me and you have had this conversation personally. Uh, for Isaiah Thomas to be the best player – on a championship team, a, a team that went back to back. That's pretty insane being six foot one. But now Curry has done, you know, he's been the best player on two championship teams and he has another two championships and he has more MVPs. It's kind of just like when you stack up the resumes next to each other, it's hard to say that Isaiah Thomas has a case. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back in a few minutes. All right. And we're back. Um, the little surprise we're going to do is a little bit of draft stuff. Uh, we are less than a week away. I can't believe how close it's come. It kind of feels like this whole process has flown by. I'm still not really where I want to be at with my draft stuff, but there are guys that I'm falling more in love with and falling out of love with. Um, falling out of love with, I know me and you can both speak to this, to Shade and Sharp. Um, I think the talent is obvious. I think ball hogs always annoy me. Um, if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you know, the Cam Thomas draft, the pick last year kind of annoyed me because, you know, he's never going to pass the ball. Um, and just ball hoggery in general drives me a little crazy. And, you know, that's shade and sharp for you. I mean, he's definitely going to get you buckets. He's such an efficient scorer that he can shoot all the time. But, you know, moving the ball in basketball IQ wins championships. So is he just going to be a, like a really good scorer on a horrible team or is he actually going to contribute to winning? I'm not sure. I've fallen a little bit out of love with Shade and Sharp recently. Are we even sure that he's going to be an incredible scorer? Um, he was really, really good in high school. That's the thing that we saw from him. He decided not to play for Kentucky and I, I can't uh, fathom taking him with a top five pick. I think he'll be top 10. And if he somehow fell to like nine and the Spurs were able to grab him, I think that could be really, really big for them. Even, you know, at seven where uh, the, the ringer has got a really good draft guide. If anybody's interested, um, they've got him going seven to the Portland trailblazers. I think that could be pretty good too, but top five, he's just not worth it. Um, in every draft in the top five, there's at least one guy that busts and there's no chance it's not him. I, I, I can't imagine taking him with a top five pick after not watching him play against anything more than high school talent. Yeah. And I think talent uh, like evaluators are going to start reeling, realizing this pretty quickly. I would not be shocked to see Shaden Sharp fall to seven, eight, nine, or 10, because there are players that have proven what they are more than him. Uh, like Johnny Davis, Jalen Duran, like, even Jalen Duran, who is very shaky, I mean, he's he has more tape 
than Shaden Sharp, and we know what he is, uh, and he's younger than Shaden Sharp. Uh, we have guys like Dyson Daniels who played against grown ass men and played really, really well. Like there's just guys that could leapfrog him. And I wouldn't be shocked if they did the, the potential is tantalizing with him, but there's so little concrete evidence of what he can be that. I mean, I think if talent evaluators want to keep their jobs, they should probably stay away from Shaden Sharp. Yeah. It is a huge swing for whoever takes him. Um, I really think it could end up working out eventually, but yeah. you have to be patient. I don't think, I think he's going to have a really bad rookie year. Um, not like some of these guys like Jalen Green, where they suck in the beginning and then they immediately figure it out halfway through the year. I think right. he's going to have a terrible rookie year. From start um, to finish. Start to finish. Prediction. I just yeah. don't think he's ready. Um, and it's, it's tough to justify a pick like that because you're going to watch guys below him kill it their rookie season. Yeah. And it's just going to be a wait and see sort of thing with him. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that. Um, but who are yeah you want to just one more thing on shade and sharp to jump from high school physicality to nba physicality in a like a year's time it's just it's too much it's too much like you said you're going to need patience if you want to see that pick work out yeah if he had played at kentucky he might be a top five pick like convincingly right now yeah um who is a pick who's a, a player and a team that you really really like the fit I have been banging on the table for so long for this fit. I want Jaden Ivy to go to the Pistons. Um, I just think him and Cade and the way they pair is so nice. I kind of said this to you a little bit during the break, um, just like thunder and lightning, like Cade's the finesse, Cade's the jump shooter and Ivy is the thunder that's going flying towards the rim. Um, and I've said this a million times. I think Cade's a good playmaker. I don't think he's a Luca or a LeBron or a guy that should have the ball in his hands every single minute of the game. I think a part of what brings so much value from Cade is he likes to relocate. He likes to play off ball. So if you have a guy like Ivy who's competent handling the ball and competent making passes, it kind of just unlocks everything about Cade. And I think that offense would be so fun with those two guards dominating games. I think the Pistons would be so grateful if somehow he fell to number five. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I still have no idea what the Kings are going to do. I think you can almost guarantee they're going to mess it up <laughs> just because it's the Kings. Um, Jaden Ivey taking another guard after drafting three guards the past three years. Uh, I don't know how you justify it, but Jaden Ivey's definitely the fourth best player in this draft class. 100%. Um, I think the the fit that I love, Benedict Matherin on the Pistons as well, would be really, really good. They've already got Sadiq Bey, who is a sick sharpshooter. Uh, ben Matherin, if you just put him and Cade and Sadiq Bey out there, that is so much shooting potential. Uh, ben Matherin's a sick athlete too. I would like to see him on the Pistons. I'd like to see him on the Pacers. I'd like to see him in Portland. Uh, I, he belongs somewhere in the top seven. In my opinion, uh, I think he's one of those dudes that's eventually going to make an all-star team and I'm, I'm going to root for him right away. Yeah, I I'm starting to really like Matherin as well. Um, his explosiveness mixed with his shooting is a rare combo and just he's got like a lot of fuck you in him. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like he's like very intense and like he wants to steal your lunch money and like just the, he's kind of the total package a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm definitely becoming more and more infatuated with Ben Matherin. Like, he, he's such an interesting prospect. Um, 
I want to bring up a guy that you know more about than I do. And I'm not even sure you know that much. This guy's a, a relative unknown to me, Usmani Zhang. Um, he's from the New Zealand League. He's six foot ten. What are your thoughts on him? Do we think he's worth a lottery pick? Um, some of these foreign guys that pop up really late in the process, like that scares me sometimes. Um, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? I think there's three places I'd want to see Usmane Jango. Um, okay. The Thunder first, the Spurs second, and then the Wizards third. I think the Wizards really are in a no man's land. And if they wanted to, they could afford to rebuild. I like his game. Okay. He had some weird moments. So the first half of his season uh, in New Zealand was pathetic. It was awful. The last like 12 games, he was showing a lot of potential. He could ball handle really well for a dude at 6'10". Um, he had some really good shot creation ability and the shot making was kind of just not there. It wasn't all caught up. He can make really good passes, run and pick and roll. Um, I think he's a dude that we're going to watch. I think he's a lottery pick, first of all, but I think he's a dude where we're going to watch. And kind of like Shangun, we see some moments where you're like, holy shit, who is this guy? What is that yeah. play he just made? Yeah. Um, he looks a little lanky sometimes. He looks a little awkward moving, but he's going to make some plays that are really, really going to surprise people. From what you're saying, I really like him on the Thunder um, at 12 because the Thunder have plenty of time to just relax and develop talent. So if we do have a guy who's a little bit raw, but has flashes, they have the time to kind of explore that and, you know, flesh that out. So um, I'll be keeping my eye on him. I'm very curious on him just because I haven't heard much about him. And just looking at his box scores is not going to give you the full picture of this guy because it's not looking good. No, it was the last 10 or 12 games for New Zealand that he really started to pop off. And yeah. everything before that, the box score is terrible. His <laughs> overall box score is really terrible. Um, but I, I do like him as a prospect. I like him as like a late lottery kind of guy. Um, speaking of late lottery, the, the Ringers got A.J. Griffin going 13 to Charlotte. I'm a big A.J. Griffin fan. He was a phenomenal three-point shooter at Duke. Um, I think he's still going to bring that right away to the NBA. Yeah. If you get him 13th, that is huge for Charlotte. I don't know how he falls that far. So he has had a lot of injuries. Yes. And that is the only reason I can justify him going 13th. Because um, he is a straight up bucket getter. Like he, he shoots 48 percent from three on 120 attempts that is absurd yeah uh, that is so accurate from the three-point line and everyone knows in today's nba you need to shoot from the three and this guy's great at it um and if he can add a little bit of a dribble and like he has a decent one already but if he can really explore that and just make shots for himself we're kind of looking at like a Chris Middleton type, just a super efficient shot getter. And that's super valuable to a winning team. Yeah. I like him at 10 going to Washington. I like him at 11 going to New York. Um, if he fell to 14, if the Cavs were able to get him, that would be incredible. Oh my God. It would be, I would freak out. It would be incredible. It doesn't make sense to me that he's fallen really low. Um, but the injuries, he missed a bunch of, he missed a lot of his last year at high school and yeah. he missed a bit in college as well. So it certainly does make sense, but you look at those three point shooting numbers and there's no way that doesn't translate. 
Right. And you brought up my calves. So now I have to talk about them. Mm. Um, a lot of people have been pinning Ochayak Baji going there. And I understand why, because we do need wing depth um, and we need more three point shooting. And he does both of those things. But he's not like, I don't think he's a great creator. Um, like, I want guys who can create their own shots. Like, if he's just a guy out on the perimeter who can defend and shoot, that's great. And that's super valuable to a ton of teams. But I'd prefer a guy like Malachi Branham over him. And according to the ringer, which I'm also viewing on my screen here, they have him going 21. I think if that does happen, whatever team gets him will be very lucky. I think he's basically a Bones Highland clone. Um, his body is a little bit different, but I mean, in just terms of the game he's going to bring, he's going to come to the NBA and just give you spark buckets off the bench. And like, that is what the Cavs need desperately, in my opinion. Speaking of a Bones Highland clone, Blake Wesley is another guy who yeah. can handle the ball pretty well. And if he is the ninth best player on your team, if you bring him up and give him just like spotty minutes, um, he's going to impress some people the same way. I, I think, you know, him and Malachi Branham, the same way that IO on the bulls, uh, was given a huge role immediately that he wasn't really ready for. And then he went out and killed it. I think either of those guys could do that. Yeah. I I'm starting to get excited about these drafts, like let almost less about the players by themselves, but where they're going. Because I think there's so many intriguing fits in this draft that can really explore players' potential. Like, you know, if Jabari goes to the Rockets somehow at three, like, I think something would be lost in that. But because he's going to the Magic, I think, or will go to the Magic if he gets selected number one, I think there's so much potential to be explored there because of the fit. Same thing with Chet to the Thunder. Like, I just think it's a great fit. I think that will give him a lot of room to grow and just experiment. So, like, all throughout the draft, like even down to the late lottery, even down to the mid twenties, you can find players in certain spots that have a chance to like really grow. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of players that I see in a whole bunch of first round mock drafts that I don't understand their positioning. Jaden Hardy is ranked at the bottom of the first round. And if somehow the heat at 27 are able to get him or the warriors at 28, um, if they're able to get Jaden Harvey, Jaden Hardy, what an incredible pick that'll be for them. And let's do a little bit of a breakdown. I know we've talked a little bit about him, but he was the second ranked player in high school. The second ranked player. Like that is no joke. Like if you go down throughout the last couple, like five years worth of rankings and you look at the second player, most of the time they're going to be above average NBA players. So he had a God awful year at the G League Ignite, like truly horrible. But if you just look at him in high school, it's worth a, a Hail Mary. So if you're in the mid-20s and you get to select him, like I think that's a good play on talent for sure. I agree, dude. He's, he's like Shaden Sharp, except he actually played. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if that's he a sat call. out a whole year, he might even be higher on people's mock drafts right now. If he sat out, he would be where shade and sharp is he'd be yeah. in like the fifth or seventh spot that's exactly correct yeah um yeah he is he's got a lot of upside and if he somehow falls to like the 25 to 30 if the the rockets get him at 26 that's going to be another really really plus draft for them if they end up taking paolo um 
there's a couple of teams that I'm really excited to see the way that they draft. The Rockets are one of them. I was just about to say, to wrap up here, like what's a team that you think is going to kill it? Because I agree with you. I think the Rockets, one, with how they're positioned with picks, they just have a lot of picks, so they can kind of maneuver around the way they want, they way, the way they want to, excuse me. Um, but, I mean, if they get Paolo at three, who I think is just a step into the league and I'm an above-average player, and then you get Jaden Hardy, the talent player, at the very bottom of the first round. And I believe they have the 17th overall pick as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they can take, like, Atari Eason, Mark Williams, like, EJ Lede- like, all these, like, mid-tier guys. They can just kind of throw a dart at a board and see if it works. Like, I just think that's another A-plus draft for them. Because last year, we both gave them an A-plus. And I think if they if they stick to that same type of theory this year, I think they nail it again. And yet they already know who the man on this team is. Jalen Green's the guy. They're not trying to draft for the next big thing. Although Paolo will be a really good complimentary piece. I agree. Um, but after number three, towards the, the bottom of the first round, they have a really, really good chance of getting plus role players that'll stick on their team for a while. I think I, I like the direction they're going in. I was a little I bit... Too. I was a little disappointed at the start of last season watching Jalen Green suck and thinking about who they could have had. Yeah. <clears throat> but I like the direction they're going in now. Another team that I'm just curious about how they do is San Antonio. I think mm-hmm. they're in a really weird spot right now because they're just good enough to make themselves competitive and take themselves out of like the top lottery odds. And they're just bad enough to where they don't get to enjoy playoff berths. So it's like, this draft kind of decides that, right? Like if Popovich retires and the results of this draft kind of push them one way or the other, like if they swing and miss on both of these picks, then they're just, they're, they're in the play in again and they're in the same position next year. But I mean, if they really hit with like a home run swing, like Usmani Jang or another guy who has high upside and he's a better player than they anticipated getting at the number nine spot, that could kind of push them into a new direction, which I'd like to see. Yeah, I don't know what the move is for them. Is it go for home run swings or is it take plus role players? So um, the, the thing is, is their whole roster is C plus players. Yeah, like, right. It's all, they already have their role players in motion. They just need guys that are like stars. Yeah, I, I think they, at number nine, it's a really interesting pick. It'll all be based on who's actually left. Um, right. But if they got the chance to take Jeremy Sohan, I think they could do pretty well with him. Um, that would just make a really good defensive team with, uh, you know, the pieces that they already have. And then you go to, to, to 20 and 25. Who knows who's still going to be available there? Um, I don't really like some of the fits, some of the, the things that I'm seeing. Ty Ty Washington, I don't think should go to this team. Yeah, I agree. Um, Nikola Jovic, I like. He's got such a pretty shot. He's six, nine and a half and he can shoot the shit out of the ball. Yeah. And then at the 25th pick, I don't know, but I just, I know that there's a lot of potential to take some pretty, pretty cool players. If I'm the Spurs and things work out perfectly, I walk out of the first round with AJ Griffin, Jaden Hardy, and Patrick Baldwin Jr. Just go for upside across the board. Mm. If AJ Griffin can stay healthy and improve his dribble, he's an above average player. If Patrick Baldwin Jr. and Jaden Hardy live up to their high school rankings at all, that's a that's a dub at the end of the first round. Yeah, I actually like that. Patrick Baldwin Jr., I'm just not sure how I feel about him because of how awful a season he had. Yeah. Um, but I, I do like the idea of swing big if you're the Spurs. They got the 38th pick as well. 
So there might be a dude down. I mean, they might be able to take Baldwin Jr. down there at 38. Um, maybe. Honestly, maybe. And I, I just don't know what's coming for them, but I'm definitely excited. The Thunder are the last team. Uh, they got number two, number 12, and what else? They got one more in the first round, I'm pretty sure. No, it's just two and 12, and then they got one in the start of the second. But okay, those are two pretty good picks. I think they might try to shop them. I think they might, you know, maybe they take a home run swing with 12. Chet seems to be the guy they're going with at number two, and I like that a lot. I, I yeah. would like Jabari a lot if they were able to get him. Um, number 12 is going to be really, really interesting to see what they do with that. Yeah, I think I've said this on the pod before, but Sohan at this spot, like 12, 11, 10, those three spots, like it, he can't get past 12 with the Thunder. If he's still there, the Thunder should select him 100 What do you think about the Thunder taking Mark Williams? With Chet? Oh, yeah, with Chet. I don't know. But Mark Williams is a big body. Mark Williams, maybe you could play them together because as of right now, they don't have a center. They right. just don't. Like it's the weakest spot of their team by far. So if you're not comfortable with Chet starting out his career at the five, which is probably a reasonable thought, actually, maybe you do just double up because Mark Williams is a better player than where he's currently being slotted. It's because of his positional, like he's just kind of trapped in a box because of what he does so well. It's just block shots and alley-oops so like the value of him isn't so great but if you pair him and Chet that's kind of your front court for the next decade already set up I agree I think you could play both of them at the same time I think eventually Chet moves into the the center role but for the first two years at least he's going to be way too skinny for that Um, and Mark Williams is a massive man and I think you could play them both together and be pretty confident about it I actually love that fit and that's kind of like baby calves, right? Yeah. Cause the calves, the calves knew they were like, Mobley's a little too skinny. Let's just, we have Jared Allen already. We'll play both of them at both of them at the same time. Who freaking cares? The thunder could just do that except just draft both players and see if it works out. And that's a huge team, man. The shortest yeah. guy, if you go Shea, Lou Dort, Josh Giddy, Chet, Mark Williams, the shortest guy is Lou Dort at six, four. And yeah. then you got Shayu 6'6", six, six, Giddy 6'8", six, and then two seven-footers. That's a yeah. big team. That's a massive team. I actually love that fit. I'm, I'm rooting for that as of now. I would love to see Mark Williams on the Hornets because, God, they need a it's center just, so badly. so bad. Um, yeah, I don't – you're right. He is down there just because not a lot of teams need a big center like that. Yeah. Even the Knicks should consider it. Mitchell Robinson's going to be a free agent. Nerlens yeah. Noel can't stay healthy. They should consider it. I think I don't think you're wrong. I think with Duran there, it makes it harder just because Duran's the upside play and the Knicks are always looking for stars. Yeah. It's like, do, do you choose Mark Williams over Jalen Duran? I think that's that would be an interesting selection. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to feel about them at 11 and the, the Wizards at 10. Those are just two really, really weird picks for me. 100%. But all right, I think... I think that wraps everything up for us with the draft. We wanted to sneak that in here at the end of the episode. Uh, Ben, you got anything else to say before we get on out of here? I got nothing. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. Peace out. Peace.